0: K Pasa Mufasa, hao, Konichiwa Shalom and Salam Aleikum. What's up everybody? Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. And today we've got Sky
1: Chilton of real mushrooms on the podcast. This is a mushroom. This is not mycelium. These are two separate parts of these organisms. And if you're making a product from one or the other, it's just important to label that properly. We really want to point out that these are two different stages in these fungal organisms.
0: Real Mushrooms is a Vancouver, Canada-based stalwart of the functional mushroom industry. And today, Sky is going to provide a current analysis of their citizen petition to the FDA, the United States Food and Drug Administration, to ensure accurate labeling of mushroom versus non-mushroom products. It's a bigger issue than you might think. So we're gonna get into it shortly. This podcast is brought to you by Ousia Labs. O-U-S-I-A, Labs. Manufacturers of home extraction equipment. The Ousia Fountain is your turnkey solution for producing extracts and botanical oils at home. Again, O-U-S-I-A. Go ahead and pop that into Google right now. See if it's a good fit for you. This podcast is also brought to you by Inoculate the World, the industry standard for clean, high-quality, and viable mushroom spores and cultures. All right, I'm here in Chiapas, Mexico at the Yuy Fest right now, Y-U-Y Fest. Yui is the Totsil indigenous word for Amanita. Thanks for listening. Please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you're listening. And I'm getting ready to head into the forest on a foray right now. So let's get the show on the road. Okay, Pasa Mufasa. We got Sky Chilton of Real Mushrooms in
1: the house today. What's up, Sky? Nice to see you. How are things in Vancouver today? Things are awesome. Nice and sunny. Getting good weather out here. Great to be here, Dennis. Yeah, so you've had an
0: eventful last couple of weeks, and let's dive right into it. And one of the marquee events coming out of Namex and real mushrooms, is the petitioning of the FDA to provide accurate labeling of mushroom and non-mushroom products. And it's maybe ruffling a few feathers. So why don't we dive in right there? What has this process been like for you? And why do you feel it's important that the FDA accurately label their mushroom or non-mushroom products?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we've been talking about this issue for you know, at least the last eight years. Um, About proper labeling of fungal parts, um, and now just recently submitted a a 30 page legal brief uh, to the FDA uh, outlining sort of the issues around labeling and proper labeling and label transparency um, and basically like fair economic practices uh, basically just about the different fungal parts, whether it's mushroom, mycelium, or spore, and making sure those are properly identified on the labels and making sure that like. You're not trying to say you have one part or the other when you don't. Um, so if your product's made of mushroom, don't make it infer that it's got a mycelium in there unless it does and vice versa. If you've got a mycelium based product, um, don't sort of infer from using the term mushroom or say mushroom images in your marketing that make people think that it has mushrooms in there when in fact it might not have any. So. It's a big process. It's taken a while. Um, we've kind of gone through multiple steps over the last eight years, whether it's just, um, you know, using our own sort of labeling and education at Real Mushrooms and Namex to kind of promote this. Um, and a lot of Namex customers and other brands that are selling mushroom extracts have kind of jumped on board with, say, like, you know, making sure that, you know, you say mushroom properly and, you know, making sure that, hey, you know, these other products might have mycelium in there and it's not mushrooms and trying to like cut through a lot of confusion. Um, And now this is sort of the next step in the process.
0: This this process has been going on for eight years, as you mentioned, do you feel that you're close to closure? Or is this just an open ended sort of infinite um, game of chess that's happening as far as you can see?
1: yeah it's definitely i'd say quite open-ended and it's probably going to go back and forth for a while like we obviously hope that the fda might step in but uh, we don't you know that would be best case scenario i don't know if it'll happen or not Uh, certainly we're getting a lot of good comments on our fda petition Um, if you go to it and check out the comments there we have a lot of support from the industry who are totally agreeing with us and want to see label transparency and make sure the proper fungal parts are labeled correctly. Um, and if there's any sort of residual grain substrate in there, um, that gets labeled too. Um, so I think it's a step in the right direction. And even if, you know, the FDA doesn't step in here, um, we're getting really good feedback and from the industry at large as well as consumers. And I think trying to push this further out to consumers, like on podcasts like this is great for them to like, really know what's out there and like how to distinguish between different products because that's kind of like one of the, the main things that we do at Real Mushrooms Dynamics is just like education like you know we see so many whether it's brands practitioners consumers influencers you know they're all you know mushrooms are so on trend right now that they're hearing all this information from all over the place they're kind of jumping on board and talking about this mushroom and that mushroom and then it's like they might pick up a product Uh, because someone told them about it and they're like, here, take this mushroom product and maybe it it has no mushrooms in there because they can't discern from the label on what exactly it's made from.
0: Sure, so speaking of mushroom supplements, there are so many on the market now. Real Mushrooms, of course, is one of the preeminent purveyors who has a longstanding, very bankable reputation and brand for good reason. And me having a podcast now about mushrooms and micropreneurs, I get asked all the time by people, hey, do you know this brand? Do you know that brand? And one of the first things I'll do is say, well, flip it over, look on the label, tell me exactly what's in it if I haven't heard of it. Right. And I think that this is natural when there's a, a trending topic or something that ha- experiences explosive growth and interest, that there's a lot of opportunists. There's a lot of people moving into the space and of course, that this could, this could adversely impact the market for everyone. And one of the things I heard last week at the Mushroom Summit coming from supplement manufacturers is that people will want to create these products that, quote, have lion's mane or cordyceps, but they'll have like 100 milligrams of it, you know, packed in with 13 other ingredients because they want to be able to say lion's mane on the product or whatnot. So I'm just curious for, you know, someone who only does mushrooms and who's built such a good reputation over so many years, what has the transition and transformation of the mushroom industry look like to you from the inside over the last few years with this rising tide of interest that's come to specifically to the North American market
1: yeah so definitely a lot of people have seen mushrooms grown both in the functional space and in the psychedelic space now um, tons of brands are getting involved those that have existing supplement lines want to sort of ride this wave and whether it's you know putting out a lion's main product or just sort of what we call like fairy dusting and throwing like a small tiny amount in there just so that they can claim it on the label um and like a lot of this comes back to just like proper labeling and even so it's like you have um whether it's people like namex that are making mushroom extract ingredients um you have other companies that are making myceliated grain ingredients we you know, Namex sells to other, say, co-packers. Um, the co-packers are then getting these ingredients from, you know, us or other companies. They might think it's mushroom. Um, maybe they know exactly what it is. Maybe they don't know exactly what it is. The, one of their customers comes to them, asks them, hey, I want Lion's main in there. The cu- The customer, sort of the actual brand is like, they think it's mushroom. So you kind of, you can end up with this really bad game of telephone um, just because the knowledge level can be really low. And, you know, the co-packers themselves probably don't know what questions to ask uh, their suppliers to see like, okay, is this made from mushroom? Is it made from mycelium? Is there still like the substrate in there? How do like, what are the quality markers that we need to look for? Um, do they care about quality? Do they just want the cheapest ingredient possible to put it on the label? Uh, There's all these different questions in there and so it's like, you know, finding a reputable brand they trust that like is testing the ingredients and has quality markers and all that and can tell you like how it's all grown, how it's all processed. Um, So many important factors there. So yeah, I I bet you get peppered all the time with (laughs) questions.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I'm not really a mycologist. Like, I certainly know more than the average person, but I'm much more of a mushroom enthusiast, advocate, and a media guy. So, you know, I even have to navigate this when I'm promoting brands who want me to promote them. And I have to say, well, tell me as much as you can about who you are in your process. And I find that that's where there's a real value added opportunity for a lot of brands to also do content creation. And like Mushroom Revival is a great example of this. Alex Dorr, right, has the podcast, has written books, has the website. And I think that's great when you can cast this wide net and and you know just like you said you're also an educational company above and beyond just doing supplements which is so important because even within the industry within the in crowd there are some unsettled open-ended dialogues that are happening which i'd love to get into shortly and before we go that route though What are some of the key consensus takeaways from the Real Mushrooms and the Namex crew that was out at the Mushroom Summit? Because that was the first event of its kind. It brought together a wide variety of stakeholders, all invested in mushrooms. They had... Michael Hutner, who's, you know, connected with the governor of Colorado and various venture funds. And they had uh, people who are from CBD backgrounds, people like your father, Jeff, who is considered the father of the international mushroom industry. Just all kinds of incredible people there. Uh, Big fan of Tony Shields. He was out there, right? Um, James from Hate Street Shroom Shop. I could go on and on and on. But what are some of the takeaways from your crew that were there?
1: Yeah, it sounded like it was uh, a great conference all in all. I know like the um, sort of mushroom versus mycelium panel um, sounds like there was really good feedback there. Um, And I know sort of my dad kind of made a, a good mark there and I think, it was definitely, it sounded like a tough panel with five people and like a variety of questions and only getting so much time to talk. You know, my, my dad could talk for ages and ages. And so, um, giving him say like two minutes may not be enough, but I think, you know, him basically holding up, say like a mushroom like this, like a reishi mushroom, and then holding up a bag of grain spawn and saying like, you know, which one is the mushroom. Uh, seems pretty obvious to most people Uh, and most people know what a mushroom is uh, and they can identify one pretty easily and mushroom growers know what grain spawn is so um, I think that panel went went fairly well and all this feedback from it was really great and sounded like uh, the rest of the talks were were fairly well received too and I think it's a a good step in the right direction I wish there was maybe more people attending uh, given how big say, like the mushroom category is now. And hopefully there would have been more spillover from the psychedelic science conference there uh, to get some more people in there. And so we'll see where it goes uh, in the next year. But uh, it sounds like it was a good show all in all.
0: Yeah, I got a lot of takeaways from it personally. And one of them is just it's nice to have your finger on the pulse. You know, I recorded a bunch of talks getting to hear who's working on what, you know, different perspectives and to be able to have these conversations face-to-face, I think, is really important, you know, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is there are a number of representatives from other companies, executives and founders, etc., who are actively creating mycelated grain products, and they were also physically present there. So, given that you have this process you're undergoing by petitioning the fda there have been responses i believe from some of these companies are there face-to-face conversations that are happening as well or is this process typically routed through press releases and lawyers and things like that
1: yeah there hasn't really been a face-to-face since uh the american herbal products association Um, they put out a labeling policy i believe it was 2017 or 18 uh, around products with fungal ingredients. Um, and so they brought together most of the major stakeholders to discuss it. And that's where that original document was created. Um, and so you don't have to, it's not a legal document or anything. You don't have to abide by it, but it's kind of like a first step of recommendations. Um, and we've kind of gone a step further with that, with the petition. Um, and then there's kind of been a rebuttal letter that's come out, uh, that we've had to submit some comments to as well, um, and so I know one of the the interesting comments I heard from the Mushroom Summit was um, you know someone talking about myceliated grain basically saying that like starch is good for you, um, and I found that quite interesting, um, especially when we're you know talking about spending a lot of money on a supplement. Um, starch is like fine if it's coming from potatoes or something like that, um, but if you're paying a lot of money. To get that um, hopefully some benefits out of it, and uh, that seems pretty like pretty expensive starch to me uh so the the petition I think is another good step in the right direction, and like same with the mushroom summit too, like hopefully we can continue that and uh, bring more people out and I'd say hopefully just like get it up to like a thousand people or even more than that. Cause it seemed like it was sounded like it was mostly like industry people, uh, for the most part. And I think if we can get more consumers there and have a few more like detailed in-depth talks too, with, uh, more experts would be great.
0: Maybe we should team up on something. I just had an intuitive flash. I feel like we could put yeah. something
1: really rocking together. It'd be cool to do like an online summit or something like that and start it off easy. And then if it takes off then you can get an in-person thing going or Or even, I don't know, a separate like Telluride meetup there as like a spinoff piece. I'm into it. You got me
0: thinking now. Okay, so one of the conversations, it's probably the conversation and it comes back to this labeling. But when I first started this podcast, the whole goal was to get all the mushroom entrepreneurs I knew or wanted to talk to into this room, into this virtual studio and and track all their projects and build a network of mushroom entrepreneurs. I've been successful in doing that. And basically everyone who's come on has unabashedly advocated for fruiting body mushrooms. I don't think I've had anybody come on and tell me, you know what? You really need to take a second look at mycelium. So there's that. Now I want to know why is it still a conversation? You know, to quote from a friend, he's like, it's not a debate in any sense of the word. So why is it still a conversation? And popular consciousness and in the public domain right now.
1: Yeah, well certainly there's obviously vested interests in there, Um, but I think you know the big thing it kind of gets framed as like a debate or like this battle or something like that, but it's like we really want to point out that these are two different stages in these fungal organisms, you know like you know this is a mushroom, you know this is not mycelium. These are two separate parts of these organisms And if you're making a product from one or the other, it's just important to label that properly. It's kind of the same as like ashwagandha or something like that. You know, if you're using the root, you should be labeling it as root. If you're using the leaves, you should be labeling it as leaves. And then that kind of the same thing goes for the research. So this is all kind of aside from like efficacy, which, you know, that's obviously very debatable. But when we're talking about, you know, actual products, you know, it's like we've got a lot of the research originally is based off like mushroom extracts if you look at like traditional chinese medicine you know that's all basically on like teas and decoctions where they're using the mushrooms to just boil them down which are kind of like crude hot water extracts that's obviously gone to another level now um and then for the sake when we're talking about mycelium you know you've got a couple different ways there whether it's like So in in China, when we go over there and visit our suppliers and manufacturing partners and go out to the farms there, you can, most of them over there, like they produce mycelium in a liquid. Um, So if you think about like tofu or whatever, you can basically like grow mycelium in a liquid broth, uh, drain off the liquid, and then you basically have pure mycelium. And so that's kind of what a lot of... The, so PSK out of Japan, which was like an approved uh, cancer therapy drug, as well as like PSP in China, uh, similar thing. These are made from pure mycelium uh, AHCC, which has a lot of good research on it too, is isolated from shiitake mycelium. So these are all sort of more on the say like refined drug side where they're like isolating specific parts of the mycelium, but it's all based off pure mycelium. And so when we're talking about the North American market, you know, we're getting into mycelium where they grow it on a grain substrate. Um, they're taking this mycelium and grain and they're drying it and powdering it. They're selling that as a mushroom product. Um, typically there's no mushrooms present. There's kind of some vague, uh, marketing claims in there. Maybe they use like the term fruit body and they want to say like the mushroom is the entire organism, but I would kind of say like, Hey, do you, do you go into the grocery store and ask where like the fruit parties are? Like, are you going to ask something like that? Like, you know, people know what mushrooms are. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory. So it's kind of funny to continually have this, you know, I guess debate in a way. Um, But when you look at like the mycelium research, I know there's a good, amount of research on mycelium. Most of it is on pure mycelium that's made with a liquid. So very different from what we find over here or from isolated fractions from mycelium. So, you know, there's a big talk about, uh, in and lion's mane, for example. So that's produced in the mycelium. Um, and there's a clinical trial where they use five milligrams of arinocene A, which is a specific fraction of arinocenes. Uh, and then there's another paper that basically says, hey, we looked at pure mycelium. We found 0.01% uh, per gram in pure mycelium. So when you start to like extra- extrapolate all this out, I mean, an effective dose could be like 500 grams of myceliated grain uh, when you f- figure in all the grain dilution in there and stuff like that. So um, there's a big kind of disconnect when people like talk about the research and making sure you're looking at you know, efficacious doses all along those lines. Like it kind of goes on and on and on, um, that we could kind of get into in many different ways. Like, you know, the mycelia grains being spun as, um, a fermented food product. Now, like we've kind of, talked for the last four years about it being very similar to tempeh uh tempeh being you know a food out of southeast asia where they take cooked soybeans and they grow a fungus on it very similar to say taking rice or oats and growing a specific type of mycelium on it um so now some of these companies are claiming yeah it is a fermented food that is similar to say like tempeh or yoga or yogurt or kombucha or kimchi um but when we kind of really take that um into context and really look close at it, you know, like tempeh is like, all these products are based on their substrate. Um, so tempeh is based on fermented soybeans and yogurt is fermented milk, you know, kimchi is fermented cabbage. They're all based off their substrate. Um, so kind of what we're really talking about is like fermented grain products, uh, and they all have their own trade name too. You know, nobody goes into the grocery store and is asking somebody where the fermented milk is. You know they're talking about hey where's yogurt so do we need a separate trade name here to describe uh myceliated grain if it is actually sort of a new novel food in a way like these other like tempeh or yogurt is i don't know Uh, there's a lot of kind of questions that when you dig into just some of the uh, claims there just don't add up and kind of just convolute you know the entire industry they kind of just want to throw out confusing things here and there to like make you believe that it's like something it is and I, and I have nothing against if people want to like take those products it's totally fine but I think uh a lot of people don't exactly know what they're taking if they see a product in the grocery stores or whatever and it says certified organic mushroom powder on it uh I would think that it has mushrooms in it um and it <laughs> could entirely not have any. Um, So that really seems like an issue to me. And that's kind of gets back to where the petition goes is like, we need proper labeling. We need to like make sure that people are aware of, you know, what's out there. It's kind of like there's similar rules for like fruit juice. You know, it's like, that's why they have fruit punch and like grape drink and stuff like that because you can't use the word juice. Sure, so let's dive into analytical testing a little bit because it's something that's
0: emerged into the spotlight with psychedelics specifically with psilocybin mushrooms it's quite new but people want to test their products know the potency but also for functional mushrooms and talking to a lot of different purveyors of functional mushrooms and people making extracts one of the things i've recently learned is that there's not really good sops at least commonly available for testing uh standard operating procedures for Testing lion's mane and testing reishi and things like this And I'm sure at an industrial scale at the level that you're doing you probably have access to more of these things But like for the smaller purveyors, uh, it's something that is not very common But I know that people are working on it So for example, it's my understanding that cordycepin, right that that's something that you can test and you can measure and you can put your QR test results and third-party test results on your bottle but when I was looking through uh a couple of providers for white labeling a lion's main product and i had asked about testing i had heard a a price quoted of forty thousand dollars to run a test and that it it didn't even give you most of the compounds that you would want it was only for like one specific set of compounds so it seemed like a bottleneck or like a barrier to access is that something that you have experience with is being able to test Rishi and lion's mane? And is that something that you imagine will be more accessible for smaller businesses in the next few years?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's moving ahead slowly. We've got a lot of work in progress there and projects in the works that that are happening. But like ultimately, with a lot of these sort of isolated, um, smaller compounds uh, that don't occur at a Really, a high amount in some in the mushroom or the mycelium, for that matter. It's like you need a pure reference standard to start with to start to measure this stuff, um, and that can be very expensive to create. And that's where a lot of the the barriers there happen. Um, so we've like had certain labs or research facilities create pure standards for us by giving them reference material, and then they're basically like uh, extracting it and fractionating it down to get us basically, whether it's like a pure reishi triterpene or like a pure compound from lion's mane, something along those lines. Uh, and then you need a whole testing method with it. So like a lot of this stuff there's testing methods for say like reishi triterpenes, you can get standards for maybe 10 different triterpenes. Um, and that's where sort of like research, Kind of move or the commercial side kind of moves away from the research because like people love just like quoting research papers of like you know this paper quoted x amount of this compound in whether it's cordyceps or a lion's mane or something like that therefore like this extract product that i just bought probably has something similar and it, and it could be just like completely totally different most likely so there's so many factors that that play into extractions and then like the finished product side of things. Um, so there's like, obviously the basics, like the beta glucan test, which is for pretty easy to run. And like, we run that on all of our lots. And so that one's like pretty basic, um, starch tests, like it's really, really basic. There's AOAC methods for that. Um, if you want to check out for any adulterants in there. Um, but as you get into like cordycepin, there's a good method for that that can be run. Um, but as you get into say like ratio triterpenes, um, there's a few different ones you can do there, but like the lion's main compounds, it's like, it's not out there. The methods, like the standards aren't there. So it's like, it's pretty tough. Like we don't know of any commercial labs that'll run, say like testing for Harris or in And there are products out there that are claiming to be testing those products or those compounds. And it's like, we know it's, uh, just, junk uh, for the most part, but uh, you you get the, yeah, you know, you've got consumers who are doing these deep dives and it's like, this compound says X, Y, and Z. So I really need to have this compound in the product I want to buy. Therefore, brand goes out and says, well, I need to test for this compound because that's what the consumers are asking for it. And so there's pressure on brands to uh, measure these compounds and doing it properly, makes a big deal um so certainly you know the the whole kind of rep that supplements can get is like is true in many ways but uh there's you know good and bad bad actors on both of those but we're we're trying to actively push sort of the testing regimen forward in a variety of different ways we're kind of doing some cool stuff right now with with near magnetic resonance uh nmr testing um getting some cool like scatterplot data and it's like putting together some pretty wicked models where we can see, you know, the differences and even like say like ratio mushroom extract, but at different extract ratios, we can see how that like changes. Um, So we've got some fun stuff coming down the pipeline, but for small businesses, like, I don't know, like the stuff isn't cheap. That's the thing. It's like, these are expensive test methods. Like we'll, we'll probably spend at least, you know, a thousand bucks on every lot, probably minimum, just running all the different tests related to what we need to do for it to clear sort of quality control. So, um, for small, say like smaller scale producers or people who are doing like tinctures and things at home or in like a small scale, batch scale, you know, it's, it's tough to like afford to run some of this stuff. So it can definitely, you can run into affordability issues and that's kind of just the way it is. Um, ultimately like these are abstract tests. They're not something like you know pesticides or heavy metals or something that you can send to basically any lab and there's an approved method that they can run no problem um and even those tests like those aren't cheap um so those are a couple hundred bucks a pop too so uh yeah i don't know for small business it's 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 tricky when it comes to the whole testing side of things sure
0: i say don't hate the player hate the game you know so gotta keep yeah, up with exactly. it gotta, gotta keep rolling with it <laughs> roll with the punches so one of the things that I would love to talk about is navigating the international market, and specifically in regards to China, because one of the perspectives I've heard here from a lot of people who want to grow USA domestic supply, and that's something that came up a few times at the Mushroom Summit, especially after COVID with supply chain disruptions, people saying, well, we're, we're focusing on developing a robust domestic supply. And then I have other people who are telling me, oh, you're going to get ripped off if you go through a Chinese broker. And, you know, there's all these different shady actors. And of course, there's probably some of that. But there's the other side of the story that this is a culture that has 4000 years of history with traditional Chinese medicine and mushrooms and a culture that's vastly, you know, it's far ahead of the U.S. in many ways in terms of the integration of mushrooms into their culture. And I was just over in Asia recently and was flabbergasted to be able to buy you know uh, a couple ounces of cordyceps for like four dollars and I was just making throwing handfuls of cordyceps fruiting body in my tea in the afternoon and this is something that costs 75 bucks or you know 50 to 75 bucks for a half ounce in the U.S. if you know a grower and so I just think it's an interesting thing and you have experience uh, on the other side of that you know interacting with Chinese farms going through the supply chains and the pipelines and all that What are some of the misconceptions about the Chinese mushroom industry? And if I were looking to launch a mushroom business or to scale up, is that a reasonable route to look into? Is sourcing from a Chinese distributor or do you think that there's really a lot of value to developing a robust domestic supply? As I heard several people uh, claiming that they want to focus on.
1: Yeah, a couple of things there like if I would suggest just go to Namics and start there to make it easy on yourselves. Uh, certainly there's, there's good suppliers and there's bad suppliers. And it's like, I kind of say like China makes the best and the worst of everything, you know, it's like they make the iPhone, they make some cheap stuff at Walmart. Um, it's, you get kind of the full gamut and if you don't know what to look for, um, how are you going to know when somebody gives you a random powder, um, that it is what it is. Um, So I think knowing, you know, the specific quality pieces there and then it's like with China, it's like you have, like you said, you've got this huge history, um, thousands of years of use through traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, They are the first to start cultivating mushrooms over 800 years ago. They're growing over 90% of the world's mushrooms. They have dedicated research institutes specifically for mushrooms. They've got more mushroom researchers than anywhere else in the world. You know, they're using mushrooms and basically teaching small towns how to grow mushrooms to like help bring them out of poverty. Uh, there it's like their number five agricultural crop, you know, it's totally integrated into their culture where like they must eat way more mushrooms, per capita than we do like multiple times over, like anytime we go over, it's like every meal has some kind of mushroom dish there. And it's like, you can go to the grocery store and, and buy just like, you know, anoki, cordyceps, king oyster, like all, all the ones that are sort of more abstract and culinary over here that are tough to find or whatnot. That's like, those are just in the grocery store. Um, But when it comes to like mushrooms and say like mushroom extracts, so like, You know, it's pretty easy to grow them for the fresh market. So we see them at the farmer's market over here, everything like that. But most of what you're paying for is water. So mushrooms and mycelium are both, you know, roughly 90% water weight. Uh, So once you dry that out, you've got actually 10% weight there. And so that's where a lot of the economic costs come into play. And that's where the economics start to break down. So if you think of like shiitake say being $5 a pound fresh and as soon as you dry that out that dried mushroom has to give you $50 a pound Um, and then if when we look at extract powders we're starting with a dried mushroom uh, and then we're talking about grinding it extracting it turning it back into a powder you know it costs more to do organic and you know this is shiitake is like one of the cheaper ones to grow and then when you're talking about reishi or like turkey tail or some of these other ones that are cordyceps that are just like trickier, harder to do, you know, the costs really get very expensive. And, and this is really the reason why companies grow myceliated grain. It's, it's just taking that mushroom growing process out of there and just like, we'll grow the mycelium out. Cause normally, you know, myceliated grain is for a mushroom grower is just grain spawn, uh, which they're taking each one of these grains and using that on their final substrate to inoculate their, their grow bed. Um, but it's kind of just like, okay, we're just going to take that, harvest it and, and sell that as basically a mushroom ingredient when, you know, there's no mushrooms present. And that really comes back to the economics of it, of like, this is really expensive to do in North America, unfortunately. Um, so do we want to like go with it? Like if we want to get it, we're going to have to go to the source. Like, um, China just, man, like when we go over there, it's, it's pretty insane, like low-tech to high-tech where it's you know low-tech growing back in the mountainsides uh growing with the seasons you know they start reishi earlier and harvest it in full, full summer where everything's hot where say like the cordyceps lines make it starts a little bit later when it because it likes the cool weather but it's like these are most of the time like bamboo shade houses like super low-tech stuff that then get harvested and taken to State of the art multi million dollar extraction facility, you know, with water treatment, stainless steel, everything that, you know, I don't know if we maybe the cannabis industry has something similar, but I don't know of anything similar for mushroom extraction at at this kind of level that we're talking about, where you can put out hundreds of tons of product in a year. um, I don't think that exists in North America right now.
0: We might be on the way there. I got to say, there's just so much interest that uh, the the amount of innovation that's happened in the last few years, I think is staggering. And just uh, as an example of that, like even five years ago, you know, how many companies were there who were pursuing something like Myco Materials, right? Or pursuing mushroom packaging. And I feel like There's like a ton of them now. So that's something I'd love to dive into. And that's actually what gave rise to me wanting to cover more of the mycoprenorial landscape is when I started to recognize all these other underdiagnosed or underrecognized applications for mushrooms, both from a material standpoint, things like mycoremediation, psychedelics, of course, psilocybin has become hugely popular. That's what opened the door for me and many other people to fully appreciate mushrooms saying, whoa, I grew up thinking that mushrooms were just the weird little thing I took off my pizzas or I saw them in the salad bar and they're slimy, you know, and I wouldn't touch them. And then there's this whole vast kingdom that somehow didn't make it into my biology textbook for the most part. And you start going down that rabbit hole and pulling on the thread and there's a lot going on. And what I find interesting is that depending on who you ask, the size of the mushroom market and like what exactly is encompassed within that is drastically different. And as an example of that, uh, someone I've been in contact with, Mark, who runs a, a platform called Myco Stories. He's tracking all of the different fungi startups around the planet, and he's grouped them into a number of different categories, omitting like regular culinary mushrooms, like button mushrooms and portobellos. And he has the size of the current market somewhere in the orbit of two billion dollars. Now, I know at the Mushroom Summit there was a projection that they would be the mushroom market would constitute roughly $8 billion by 2028. And then I see other industry analytical reports saying it's a $100 billion industry by 2030, right? And like, you're just kind of all over the place. And I think if you were to include button mushrooms and portobellos and more standard fare like that, it would up, it would go up to like 50 billion, according to Mark. And please, anybody listening, do your own due diligence. Don't quote me precisely on the numbers. This is just a general idea. But with with what you're doing and being intimately and dynamically involved involved in this industry are you pursuing some of these other different pathways of innovation or do you feel like are you buttoned down focused on continuing to to own your niche and to own what you're doing with real mushrooms
1: yeah i think we're we're for the most part like trying to stay in our lane per se of like um, sticking with mushroom extracts, uh, we've got a couple fun new ingredients coming out pretty soon here by the fall. That'll, that'll be cool. And I don't think anyone else really has that at the moment, um, and trying to kind of push the landscape in terms of testing. Uh, but I mean, we're always keeping our eyes open. Um, we're certainly like watching the psychedelic space to see what's happening there. Um, but yeah, like there's in terms of like the packaging, the, the leather, the like food replacement stuff. Um, I feel like all that's like super cool. I don't, I don't think it'll be something we'll, we'll get into. I know like that stuff just costs it, you know, there's so much like capital required to like do all the R and D work on that. Um, it's completely kind of separate of, of what we're thinking, but yeah, I think, you know, we've seen, yeah, multiple sort of revenue numbers thrown around about like, what the market could entail at some point. But I, I think the, the cool thing is just like, people are getting used to mushrooms again, you know, like I feel like so many people were um, just like scared of mushrooms and I think, you know, we've grown up with a lot of that, I think in our culture of, you know, be afraid of mushrooms cause you know, they can kill you or whatever, like don't, don't pick that or whatever. And uh, whereas if you look at say, you know, the European cultures who've grown up with a lot of foraging, you know, they're, they're still out there picking mushrooms and I feel like they eat a lot more mushrooms too. And, and so I like that people are getting more, uh, versed with mushrooms and it's like, they're, they're hearing about the health benefits and they're, you know, whether it's putting them into your diet, if it's just as food or a supplement, I think like all that is good. And just, um, any of the side stuff too, with yeah, packaging all the different, like, the new leathers and shoes and stuff like that. If hopefully it's, hopefully it's economically viable. I guess that's kind of the, the biggest key piece of that. Like there's a lot of cool prototypes and, and I don't know if it'll just be say like Tesla, We'll we'll start with a super high end product in order to like get the initial movement. And then if they get scale, they'll bring the price down a lot of that stuff. But I think, um, still a lot of stuff where it's, it's more or less concepts. And even in like Europe, I've seen them trying to do like buildings, out of like mycelium bricks and stuff like that. Uh, so whether or not that moves into like full scale practice um, and actually becomes economical, I think, well, that's still something to be seen. Totally, super interesting to follow. I myself have stacked my
0: chips in the media landscape. It's uh, very low overhead and something I enjoy doing very much. And. One thing I, I realized pretty early on, especially in regards to psychedelics, but also just mushrooms in general, is the need for really quality, transparent, educational platforms. And that's something I wanted to ask you about is w- what are some other avenues that people can start paying attention to if they want to track the mushroom market, if they want to you know, keep their finger on their keep the finger on the pulse and understand what's going on in the global mushroom industry. I know, for example, there's a conference that happens every couple of years and that the last one was in Belgrade, Serbia, I'm forgetting the name of it. But when I tapped into that and, and started following some of their work during that time, but what are some avenues that people can pay attention to to stay abreast of really top quality, best in market information about mushrooms?
1: Yeah. I mean, certainly we, At Real Mushrooms, we publish a lot of articles there. It's more like, say, like mushroom education as opposed to like what's happening in the industry. I know like uh, Tony at Fresh Cap, like his the mushroom show seems like a great one for covering all the like day-to-day subjects that are going on. In terms of conferences, uh, you've got uh, the International Society for Mushroom Science. Uh, They have a conference every four years, I want to say. It's actually in Las Vegas next year. Uh, which will be pretty cool. The last one got canceled due to COVID, Um, but we were there, let's see, 2016 was Amsterdam. Uh, That was a fun conference. And then there's uh, IMMC, which is the International Medicinal Mushroom Conference. Uh, Last one, oh, that was the Serbia one. Um, They had it previously. 2019 was China when we were at that one there. And I can't remember exactly where the next one was. There was supposed to be one, and I think they were supposed to have it in Vancouver, But that was during COVID, and got we're kind of excited for that but got canceled um hopefully yeah the the mushroom summit happens again um that would be good and i don't know maybe there'll be some cool like online summits i feel like it's it's fun that just more people are getting into the space there's kind of all these uh say like uh, new influencers popping up talking about mushrooms which i think is is super fun um so we'll we'll see where it goes but it's just like definitely uh, a ride for sure and you know <laughs> love to see all the new people getting into it and getting excited like uh my cousin just sent me some photos from her her daughter that uh, set up like a whole mushroom display at the local fair where she like crocheted little mushrooms and made these little mushroom like toys and had these mushroom lights that were going on and and so like it's it's really cool to see like kids getting excited about it too. And and I know like my brother just keeps seeing all like mushroom print, everything, you know, socks, boxers, shirts, like hats, all these crazy prints going on with mushrooms now. So uh, you can definitely see the trends happening. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: And I've got a bunch of those mushroom
1: socks and shirts you just mentioned and hats. Right. And my whole place
0: <laughs> is decked. I've got a mushroom light over here. So We're slowly bridging the gap between humanity and the fungi kingdom. So I've got two more (laughs) questions for you today. And this next one is, what does an average Tuesday look like for you as the founder of Real Mushrooms? I'm sure you wear a lot of hats. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, obligation. There's a lot of things you're doing. But, like, just walk us through what does an average Tuesday look like for you?
1: Yeah, I guess, uh, normally, hopefully not too many meetings. I think that's kind of like my biggest challenge at the moment is the, the dreaded meeting, um, but most of them are good, but trying to cut back on that and just like building out our team further, um, trying to kind of get me up on higher level stuff and, and less on the day to day, but, uh, you know, wake up fairly early, six or seven o'clock, you know, have the coffee usual, um, maybe add some mushrooms in there, uh, take the dog for a walk and yeah plug away at the computer for too long i'm sure we're all doing that way too much Uh, (laughs) try and get some exercise at the end of the day and get out but uh yeah most of it kind of revolves i wish i had more time for content that's kind of been the the challenging piece and like has always been a challenge for me of like putting myself out there uh putting my face on camera and like talking about this stuff, even though it comes pretty easily to me, is like, yeah, finding finally in time for it. I've got a big list of videos that I'm supposed to be recording that are always uh, tricky to do. But uh, for the most part, yeah, it's like working with our team day to day, um, hopefully not putting out fires, but uh, pop up from time to time. And, and, you know, the, the meetings that happen when once your company starts to get bigger. Yeah, you know, to
0: address that computer comment and working away on the computer, I was having breakfast in London with a friend of mine and he's a professor and he was like, you know, if aliens were to watch humans working, they wouldn't understand that we all have different jobs, you know, because no matter if you're a professor <laughs> right. or the owner of a mushroom company or a media yeah. guy, it seems to be the common thread is that we all plug away on our computers and that's what we do. So I myself am hoping to get away from that. I, I am in what I consider to be a multiple year sprint right now. I feel like. I started this podcast and the platform and have always come from a place of authenticity and inspiration. And now it's turned into like an actual business with some actual influence. And I'm encountering the things that actual business people who run them have to do, which is things like, where do I incorporate? You know, how many taxes am I paying? You know, stuff like that. So it's not the most fun part, but I'm very appreciative to have an opportunity to, you know, have have some influence and some connections and to get to tune in with people like you. So the last question I have today is what's coming next over the next six months to a year for real mushrooms?
1: Yeah, uh, we've got a fun new dog product coming out. Uh, hopefully it'll be in like two months or so. Um, really comprehensive daily formula for your dog. Um, that'll be We're pretty excited about that. Uh, and then we've got a uh, mushroom creamer coming out too. So you'll be able to... Up your coffee or your tea, or what do you want to do? Uh, easy way to get your mushrooms into your daily routine. So, very excited about that as well. Uh, aside from that, uh, the team has a bunch of different pet conferences happening throughout the fall. We've been pretty active with promoting our pet line there. And, and then uh, you'll be able to find Namics at uh, Supply Side in, in Vegas in October. It's kind of the big supplement ingredient show. Um, but aside from that, I think we'll be just like trying to enjoy the summer for now. while The weather is good and, and hopefully not working too hard. But uh, yeah, staying busy for sure.
0: Sky Chilton, thanks for coming on the Mycopreneur podcast. It's been a pleasure. I'm a huge fan of your work with Real Mushrooms and Namex, and it's been an honor.
1: Thanks, Dennis. Really appreciate everything you do. L- love the content you're putting out. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end.
0: It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode and please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At micopreneur podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the micopreneur podcast.